It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast, city to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning, and welcome into the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have made it. Happy 2022. Hopefully the new year on Friday and Saturday was an enjoyable one as we move past 2021 into 2022. I'm not sure about yourself. I am very excited just because obviously 2020 was hopefully, knock on wood, the worst year we'll ever experience as a society. 2021 got a little bit better, and hopefully 2022, again, we start to inch closer and closer to some normality, getting, you know, I guess more positivity in our lives. So, knock on wood, and I, I truly do believe this, I think 2022 will be better than 2021, which was better than 2020, so we're going in the right direction. It is not getting worse, it is getting better. So, I am excited, I hopefully, you know, you are as well, we appreciate you starting the new year, the first Monday back with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. A lot to get into. A jam-packed, loaded show. We had the college football playoff come and go. Georgia dominates Michigan. Alabama beats Cincinnati. Georgia, to me, their impressive, uh, their importance in... <laughs> See, we're getting off the New Year to hot start. 2022 is already worse than 2021. I can't talk. Georgia, I thought... Got, uh, had a much more impressive victory over Michigan. And there's one aspect specifically that really has me feeling good about Georgia winning a national title. I'll explain what that is in an hour or so from now. But we also have a lot of Week 17 NFL action to get to. The Bengals win the division. The AFC North is theirs for the first time since 2015. A wild game. Two big lessons. I think we learned from Chiefs-Bengals that we could take away going not only into the playoffs, but also think going for the future as well, some other big winners and losers from Week 17. We'll get into that. And we have to start in a second here with the Dallas Cowboys. My goodness. But before that, as a reminder, New Year, same sponsor. We are still coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure to check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Now that I'm talking, I can hear myself talk through the headphones kind of for the first time since New Year's. You can hear, and now I can finally hear, my voice sounds shot. I don't know if it was doing a polar plunge that you know, we could talk about a little later on um, on New Year's Day to kind of get 2022 off to the right note, but hopefully we'll power through. If you could bear, me, uh, bear with me here for the next two hours, I promise you, Thursday show, the voice will be pristine yet again. So let's, though, start with the Dallas Cowboys, right? Because I think Sunday's loss was very, very telling of Dallas. And it's that they're not Super Bowl contenders. I, I don't know about you. I know there's a lot of love for Dallas this last week. They mauled the Washington football team last Sunday night, and there are being, you know, there are brocades thrown all over Dallas. You know what? I on this show did not say on Monday. Did not say on Thursday. I'm a believer in Dallas. I'm still buying in to the Cowboys as legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I'm still thinking now, like many people said last week. They are the second-best team in the NFC. A real chance to get a Super Bowl. They're deep on both sides of, of, of the line of scrimmage. 
enough. Because yesterday was, again, revealing that this team is not Super Bowl contenders. I don't want to hear the words Dallas Cowboys and Super Bowl in the same conversation again this season. It's over. It's done. Yesterday was the final nail in the coffin. There's a reason why I didn't say anything last week. It's because I still was not uh, a believer. I still was not bought and sold on the Cowboys. And they play a good team. And what happens? You see the flaws. You see the reasons why they are not Super Bowl contenders. Their offense isn't explosive enough against good teams. They're two-faced. I'll tell you what that means in a second here. But basically, they play really good against bad teams and not great against good teams. And guess what? Their head coach holds them back. All three of those factors are reasons why they are not Super Bowl contenders. Here's a wild thought here. Here's a very extremely obvious statement. When you make the playoffs, who you face? Good teams, right? Bad teams, some years I I get it, right? There are exceptions. But for the most part, 95% of the time, only good teams make the playoffs in the NFL. So if you're going to make it to the NFC title game, make it to the Super Bowl, you're going to have to beat two to three really good to elite teams just to get to the Super Bowl and win it. You know what the Cowboys have not done this season? What they've struggled to do this year? Beat good teams. So this team, you you watch Dallas, they're not beating the Buccaneers in the playoffs. They're not beating the Rams in the playoffs. They're not beating the Packers in the playoffs. At this point, they're lucky to win one playoff game. Here's why. Let's start with, with the two-faced part of their season. Their record is 11-5. Right? There's the old adage, you are what your record says you are. Bill Parcells said that. So the Cowboys, on paper, at 11-5, you see, wow, that's a good team. That's one of the best teams in the NFL. Here's the thing. When you look deeper, when you go below the surface and examine that 11-5 record, There are a lot of flaws, there are a lot of holes, and there's a lot of reasons to have doubts about this Cowboys team that was shown and bubbled to the surface yesterday. 11-5. Five of those 11 wins came in division, the NFC East. Is the NFC East a world-beating division? Absolutely not. The New York Giants, I'll get to Joe Judge here in quick hits in about 40 minutes or a half hour or so from now. I mean, the New York Giants are one of the most embarrassing teams in the NFL. There's two freebie wins. The Washington football team, as we see, have just totally, totally melted down. They're more worried about bringing the, you know, their own benches to games than actually showing up to play in the game. The benches are showing up. The team is not showing up. So the football team's a disgrace. And when they play the Eagles the first time, they play them next week, but the first time they played the Eagles, Nick Sirianni didn't even know what running the ball meant. He didn't know the rules allowed you to hand the ball off to a running back. So that was basically five freebie wins. If it's Monopoly... Those basically are just, you, you go past go, you get 200 bucks. That's what those five wins in the NFC East were for Dallas this year. So they're 5-0 and in division. That means they're 6-5 and against every other team that they have played outside of the NFC East. 6-5. and Does that record scream Super Bowl contender to you? Doesn't to me. They have played eight teams this season, Dallas has, that are currently 500 or better on the season. The Cowboys are 4-4 four and four in that stretch. So they literally are, if you're a Seinfeld fan, Gwen from Seinfeld, the two-face. When they play bad teams, when they're playing the Giants or the Falcons or the Washington football team, they look sexy as hell. The lighting is perfect. You're looking like, oh, wow, look at this team. Oh, my God, this team is one of the best in the NFL. Dak's looking good. Zeke's looking good. CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper, the defense led by Micah Parsons. Trayvon Diggs is getting picks. 
This team has you believing they're one of the sexiest teams. And, and, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL that has a legitimate chance to beat the Packers, beat the Rams, beat the Bucks, and go to the Super Bowl and, hell, win the Super Bowl. They look like a Super Bowl team when they play some of the worst teams in the NFL. But just like Gwen from Seinfeld and Jerry found out the hard way, when the lighting is poor, when it's dark, maybe if it's, you know, a, a muggy day outside, and you get a look like, oh, who is that? You can't even recognize the person. An hour ago, Jerry's in love. An hour later, the lighting's a little different. And like, oh, I can't even look at this person in the eye. That's who the Cowboys are when they play good teams. Oh, Cowboys. All of a sudden, the offense grinds to a halt. Defense isn't getting as many clutch stops as you like. The run game is not, you know, elite. All of a sudden, CeeDee Lamb, it's a tough time for him getting the ball. Dak struggles. This team looks ugly, like one of the ugliest teams uh, in the NFL, and they play good teams. They are Gwen when she's on the porch, and Jerry runs out there to save her, and then he goes, oh, bad lighting on the porch. That's who the Cowboys are when they play good teams. When they play bad teams, one of the sexiest teams in the NFL. But guess what? Being so up and down, being so good against bad teams, but not playing your best and struggling against good teams, that's not how teams win the Super Bowl. That's not how you can call yourself a true Super Bowl contender. If you can't beat the best teams, guess what? You're you know heading out early in the playoffs. You're playing golf in January. You are not even making it to the NFC title game. Because somehow, getting a, a gift that they wore yesterday, playing the Cardinals at the right time at home, the Cardinals are in the midst of a three-game losing streak where the teams they lost to, they lost to was... A COVID-depleted Rams team at home, a, a just an undermanned Lions team. They got blown out, and they lost to another COVID-depleted team in the Colts at home. And somehow, despite the fact that they got the breaks going there where the Cowboys did play in the Cardinals at the right time, the Cowboys yesterday were still able to out-Cardinal the Cardinals. They made a lot of sloppy mistakes. They left Arizona in the game. They played if we'll say down to their competition, and got beat. They had 10 penalties yesterday. Um, Dallas did. Big killer on some of them. Just 3 of 11 on third down. They totaled 45 rushing yards, and for three quarters of the game, they're pretty lifeless. They didn't give you a reason to believe. They didn't give you a reason to be inspired to say, wow, this team is, is right there. They were able to make a struggling Cardinals team look good. They threw him a life raft yesterday as this team was, you know, sinking. Sinking like a rock. About to be a one and done in the playoffs. So again, you want to be a Super Bowl contender, you got to beat good teams. The Cardinals used to be a good team. Now we're really struggling in December and you still couldn't even beat them. The Cowboys have not beaten a good team since week six in overtime at New England. And if you remember, that game dropped the Patriots to 2-4. and four. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. It's all right. The Patriots are still kind of right there, and they played the Cowboys tough. And right after that loss, they won a seven-game winning streak. Patriots actually just clinched the playoffs. The last good win for Dallas came in week six. I don't care that they hung basically over half a hundred on the Washington football team yesterday. They haven't had a good win and a, a really good feel-good performance since week Six. We're going to week 18. The Cowboys look like they have peaked at the wrong time too early. 
You look at this offense. Speaking of two-faced before, we talking about with their record where they look sexy as hell against the bad teams and uh, don't really look that great against the good teams. You know who also or what I should say mirrors that? Their offense. You look at the stats, you look at the raw numbers. The Cowboys' offense seems to be elite. Number one, still in the NFL in points per game scored on average. Number two in yards per game total offense. So they put up a ton of numbers, a ton of stats, a ton of points, and it looks good rankings-wise against the rest of the NFL. But here is the truth. They're compilers. They, again, put up stats against bad teams and don't really show up against good teams. Even recently, even against the bad teams, they've left a lot to be desired offensively. This team, you look at before the bye and after the bye, it is two different offenses. The bye for the Cowboys came in week seven. So they played six games into their bye. They scored at least 29 points or more in five out of the six games. The only game they did was against the Chargers week two. They scored 20 points. They won that game. Five out of the six games throughout the season, they scored at least 29 points. Since the bye, it's been 10 games. The Cowboys have scored at least 29 points three times. So five out of six games before the bye, three out of 10 times after the bye. Scoring 29 points. And it's not, you know, it's really, when you look at it, starts with their quarterback at Dak Prescott. Remember what? The big S word is being thrown around about uh, with Dak the last month, six weeks, slump. Is he in a slump? Is he truly out of the slump? Is, is you know, last week now, is he, is he kind of showing, you know, that he has put the bad play behind him? There was a lot of debate of Dak Prescott's play. The reality is he has regressed in the second half of the season. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it a slump. The thing is, the second half of the season, since the bye, Dak has not played good football. Regress, regression, slump, funk. Doesn't The adjectives can change. It doesn't matter. The reality is the offense is not anywhere near as potent, explosive, or dangerous as it was to start the season, and that's a problem. That's a big-time issue. Because, again, similar how I just you know laid out the bye, right? Where they scored 29 points or more, five out of the six teams before the bye. After the bye, they only scored 29 or more points three times. The, the stats drop off precipitously for Dak Prescott before and after the bye. He got hurt, remember, week six. Against the Patriots, he hurt his calf. So he missed one game coming out of the bye, and then since then he's played nine games. Before, the first six games of the season, Dak was averaging 302 passing yards per game. After that, the, the, since the, the previous nine games, 260. Over 40 yards per game less than the air passing. His completion percentage has dropped. Before the bye, he was 73%. After the bye, 65%. His passer rating... 114.7 the first six games of the season. The last nine games of the season, 93.3. His stats are dropping. Passing yards, completion percentage, passer rating, the offense. Like, you look, okay, if we take last week out, they scored 56 points on the Washington football team. You look at this offense the last six, eight weeks of, this, of the season, Look at the points they're scoring. They scored 22 points on the Cardinals yesterday. They scored 21 points on the Giants a few weeks ago. They scored 27 points against the Washington football team the first time they played and the Saints on a Thursday night. They scored nine points on the Chiefs. They have struggled to score on everyone the last two months of the season. So again, I'll ask you, if you're a true Super Bowl contender, you're going against the Bucks, the Rams, the Packers. Do you have confidence that the the Cowboys can win any of those games. By the way, all three are going to be on the road. 
I don't. Because the final reason we have seen their their uh, you know inability to play well against good teams, we've seen their offense regress, and we have seen a team that doesn't have a head coach that gets the most out of this team. You had yesterday Mike McCarthy outcoached by Cliff Kingsbury. That's embarrassing. We were talking on this show this time last week about Cliff Kingsbury being fired after the wildcard round because of the collapse the Cardinals have gone when they were 7-0 in the best team in the NFL to where they are right now in a total, total freefall. I didn't think that the Cardinals had any chance to win this game. And you had Cliff Kingsbury out coach Mike McCarthy to where he's fooling him, calling extra timeouts. Game management is not there. Mike McCarthy continuing to make some questionable decisions in-game. And you had a coach who's notoriously struggled in the second half of the year coming to your building when they are just in a total collapse in pants here. Make you look silly. Mike McCarthy holds the Cowboys back. When you look at the other teams they're going to play, again, Bruce Arians, really damn good coach. Sean McVay gets the most out of his team. Matt LaFleur is the winningest coach of the first three years in NFL history. He's 39-9. and in the regular season, his first three years, that is the most wins in NFL history for a coach in their first three years on the job. So when you have Mike McCarthy on the other sideline opposed against Arians, McVay, LaFleur, who are you taking in that? Who has the advantage? That's what I thought. Exactly. So again, you want to be a Super Bowl contender. Tell me how the, the, the Cowboys are beating the Bucks, the Rams, the Packers. They are not. Yesterday was extremely revealing for Dallas, and it's that they are not Super Bowl contenders. They don't have the offense. They don't play well against good teams. They don't have the head coach. All three extremely important categories have revealed to be not there for Dallas in the big moment like we saw yesterday. This team is not Super Bowl contenders. Can you convince me otherwise? If you are a believer in Dallas, why? What have they done well? What have they shown you to have you believing this team can win two or three playoff games? This team can beat the Bucs. They can beat the Rams, beat the Packers, probably all on the road to get to the Super Bowl. Hell, can they even beat the Cardinals at home again? That looks to be the matchup. It's going to the way it's going to kind of play out in two weeks. Can they even win that rematch? I am not a believer in Dallas at all. I am out on the Cowboys. What about you? Are you a believer in Dallas? Can they still, in your mind, make a run to the Super Bowl? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We do return here. We'll go from bad to good. The Cowboys reveal themselves to be frauds in the big moment. The Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals, and especially Joe Burrow, revealed themselves to be the opposite. Joe Burrow has had the single greatest impact on a losing organization since Andrew Luck. I'll explain why that is when we do turn it to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Network. Happy 2022. Hopefully New Year's Eve day was a great one for you. And we appreciate 
You're still starting your week here. New year, but still routine. Starting with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Two big lessons I think we learned from yesterday's epic, insane Chiefs-Bengals game. Joe Burrow is a true culture changer. His impact is rarely felt across the NFL. And also, this Chiefs defense, I think, has provided doubts come playoff time. Let's talk about Joe Burrow, though, and his impact uh, on the Bengals first. Because I don't think there's been a quarterback that has had a bigger impact on a losing organization since Andrew Luck. More than Joe Burrow. What he has done in Cincinnati is, I still can't wrap my brain. Like, the fact that it really didn't sink, I'll be honest. Sitting, you know, watching that game yesterday, going back and forth, incredible. And you know what's at stake, right? You know the Bengals win their AFC North champs. And obviously they win the game. It's We'll get into the... The, the wild final minute here and quick hits in about 15 minutes or so. But you have the Bengals win the game, become AFC North champs. You see them smoking cigars and dancing in the locker room. And I don't know why, but you see, okay, the AFC North champs, congrats, what a big-time win for Cincinnati and the team. But it took me like two hours after the game, like maybe halftime of the Cardinals-Cowboys game, where it hit me like, oh, my God. This team was awful. Going into 2020, they draft Joe Burrow. They have no offense allowed to protect for him. They run him into the ground. You know, they throw the ball so damn much that he ends up tearing his ACL behind that awful O-line. And you're right, whatever hope you have in Cincinnati, you hope now Joe Burrow can come back and be okay. And 2021 is, you know, he's come back obviously with a vengeance. They're 11-5. They have a great season. And it just hit me like, oh my God. In two years, you're able to take a team that goes that has the number one pick in the NFL to winning the AFC North that is filled with perennially consistent winning teams in the Steelers and the Ravens, and they have a team on the rise in the Browns. And the Bengals, of all teams, are able to win that division. I thought going into the year, best case scenario, third place. I thought they would finish ahead of the Steelers. I thought the Steelers were going to have the, their first losing season in 16 years, or even longer than that in Big Ben's tenure since 2003, excuse me. And I thought the Bengals would finish in third place and just kind of have something to build on going into year three. And instead, they said, screw that. We're going to win the AFC North. And that's what I said. No quarterback has had a bigger impact on a losing team than Joe, you know, this, uh, than Andrew Luck when he was drafted to the Colts where he had them turn around from 12, uh, 2 and 14 to 11 and 5 in his rookie year. Kind of similar situation to where there's no offensive line protect. And Andrew Luck, as we know, unfortunately got the pulp beaten out of him. And that led to his early uh, retirement. But Andrew Luck, Joe Burrow, this last decade, both have just literally lifted their organizations up and have been able to turn around. Because you look at the Bengals, right? Their first division wins in 2015. So it's not like they've had a lot of futility. I mean, 2015 is not that long ago. But since that division win, they have had a losing season each of the five years. So this was a team that had recently a losing culture. And Joe Burrow was able to come in in just year two and turn it around to where they were able to win a division. And you look too, it's not just like Joe Burrow's long career ride. For example, the reason why I'm telling you Joe Burrow has had the biggest impact on a, on a losing team since Andrew Luck is because you look at the other great quarterbacks around in the NFL. Patrick Holmes, right? Obviously, the Chiefs were a solid team, a decent team before he came there. He comes onto the scene, 2018, boom, 
MVP 2019 Super Bowl win 2020 Super Bowl appearance. He has obviously taken the Chiefs to an elite level that they never seen before. But before that, that Chiefs team was still a consistent winner. Andy Reid had them, in, you know, making the playoffs with Alex Smith. So it still was a competent organization that knew how to do things the right way. Patrick Holmes just took them from from good to great to elite. You know, there's other quarterbacks like Tom Brady when he first broke with the Patriots. Right? Tom Brady wasn't the reason why the Patriots won the Super Bowls. They had great defense, great running game, and he was kind of along for the ride early on. Similar to Russell Wilson in Seattle, they had the Legion of Boom there. You had Marshawn Lynch. So a lot of quarterbacks that have had early success, a lot of them are on good teams where either they made the team you know, from good to great, like Patrick Holmes, or they were along for the ride where they just were asked, hey, don't screw it up, kid. Just get out of the way. Let us do our thing and just, just don't be the reason why they lose. Joe Burrow not only came in and elevated this team that was a perennial loser. Again, five consecutive losing seasons before this year. He was the reason why they're winning. Like, they're winning not because Joe Burrow's along for the ride. They're winning because of Burrow's play. And I thought these last two weeks are the perfect example of not only that, but also the perfect example of what you want in a franchise quarterback. These two last uh, games, at the, against the Ravens at home and against the Chiefs yesterday, were the two biggest games of Joe Burrow's NFL career. I know it's still early on. He's only year number two. But they are massive, massive games. And unlike the Cowboys, who have saved their bad performances against the good teams, Joe Burrow saved the best two games of his season, the best two games of his career, for the two biggest games the Bengals have played in in over five years. Yesterday he threw for 446 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, was insanely efficient going 30 of 39. That, by the way, is coming off of last week where he gets the Ravens. I know they were, you know, injury depleted, COVID ridden, but still a huge game. He threw for 525 yards, completed 80% of his passes, four touchdowns, no picks. So you had, again, the two biggest games of Joe Burrow's NFL career, the two biggest games in uh, in the Bengals franchise last five years. You had your young franchise quarterback combined to throw for 971 yards, eight touchdowns, no picks, 78% completion percentage. That is elite. That is what winning franchise quarterbacks do. That is a culture changer that Joe Burrow is. It is rare. It is extremely rare to have the impact Joe Burrow has had on the Bengals these last two years. Again, he has taken a losing organization almost by himself, lifted them up. And get their balance right. They ran the ball with Joe Mixon really well this year. They're top 10 in running. Uh, and in terms of rushing attacks, they have a little more, more balance. The offense line is still awful. He has some great receivers to throw to, led by Jamar Chase, who, I mean, <laughs> newsflash to Kansas City, maybe you want to defend him. We'll get to that in a second. But T. Higgins, you know, Tyler Boyd, Tyler Uzama, Joe Mixon out of the backfield. Like, he has weapons to throw the ball to, Joe Burrow does, and he has a solid run game. But again, the, the impact that Burrow has had, the, the ability for him to almost inject a winning attitude, a winning culture to a team that hasn't felt that the last five years at a, such a young age is beyond impressive. Again, no quarterback had a bigger impact than Joe Burrow um, since Andrew Lowe, or Joe Burrow, I should say. Keep wording that wrong. My apologies. Like I said, 2022 after a terrible start with the show. But Joe Burrow's had the biggest impact on a losing organization since Andrew Luck in 2012. You rarely see a quarterback almost single-handedly drag a team from perennial losers to now 
winners in such a short period of time. Two years is all it took for Joe Burrow to take the Bengals from number one overall pick to AFC North champs. Bengals got a real one. The next 15 years for Cincinnati, you have to feel great, beyond great. One of the luckiest teams in the NFL to have the quarterback you have. So that's the Bengals' perspective. I think that's one lesson we learned. Joe Burrow as a culture changer is true. He's elite. He's incredible. I think there's another thing, too, we got to take away, and that's the Chiefs' defense. There should be reason for concern. I think both things are true here. This Chiefs' defense in 2021 is the best defense that Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid have had in their tenure together since 2018. So since they really started, you know, competing for Super Bowls the last four years, this is by far the best defense that Kansas City has had. Also true is I don't think they'll be locked down come playoff time. I don't think we can, you can rely on them as much as we thought we could earlier this year. As we know, right, the Chiefs defense in years past has been a liability. Like, that has been the one reason or the one area you look at, you point and say, that's going to be the reason why the Chiefs don't win the Super Bowl. Their defense can't get a stop on anyone, right? Their secondary has gotten beat left and right. The run defense was horrendous. 2019, they were, you know, historically bad for the first half before doing just enough for the second half of the year to, again, kind of not be the reason why they lose. But to their credit in 2021, the Chiefs' defense has kept this team afloat for most of the year, right? Like, we saw, what, a two-month stretch of the season where the Chiefs' offense was just broken, was confused, was lost, didn't know how to operate. Patrick Holmes is throwing picks left and right. They're not scoring a ton of points. They looked, you know, they were working through a lot of things. They did not look anywhere near, you know, Chiefs-like that we saw the last few years. But guess what? The reason why they won eight games in a row after they were three and four, the reason why they are still in a good spot to have the number one seed, and the reason why they won the AFC uh, West again, is because their defense bailed them out in the middle of the year. That was two months when the Chiefs were working through offensive issues. The defense was still playing well. The defense is, you know, the reason why they're winning games. The defense had a big part in the eight-game winning streak. But when you look, though, too, when you truly dive into the numbers, you kind of see, well, the reason why the defense is playing so well is because the schedule gave them a lot of breaks. Like, you look, okay, the last game they lost before yesterday was against a fully healthy Titans team. They were blown out. It was 27-3. During that eight-game winning streak, we're, we're trying to give the Chiefs defense credit here. This is who they played. They played the Giants arguably the worst offense or one of the worst offenses in all the NFL. They played the Packers. Sands Aaron Rodgers. That was Jordan Love's first and only career start of the game. They played the Raiders twice, which credits that big one yesterday, but that's a Raiders offense that really has kind of been very, very up and down for most of the season. The Cowboys, they scored just nine points. The Steelers of Big Ben have been Tough to watch offensive this year. The Broncos don't know who the hell's playing quarterback. Doesn't really matter. None of them have been any good. And the Chargers. Broncos, Chargers, Steelers, Cowboys, Raiders twice, Packers with Jordan Love starting the Giants. There are some, you know, the Chargers, you know, were our, our decent offense. The Cowboys offense is, I would say, fraudulent, but that's still on paper a good offense. And yes, the Chiefs have, uh, defense had some good moments. But my big question was when now you play playoff caliber offenses, how would they play? And I think we got our answer yesterday. They can't be relied upon. The reality is there are still problems in this Kansas City defense that you can't rely on them the way the Chiefs did 
midway through the year to win him games to bail him out. And this is still, especially a secondary, that is not very good. They are 28th in the NFL in terms of passing yards per game allowed. They are allowing quarterbacks to complete 66% of their passes against them, bottom half of the league, and their bottom half of the league in terms of passer rating, uh, in terms of you know trying to stop quarterbacks, they have a pretty high passer rating, bottom half. And Jamar Chase alone should show you there are reasons to be concerned. You knew where Joe Burrow was going. It was going to be Jamar Chase, and they still kept on giving him one-on-one coverage. He set a single uh, NFL record, single-game record, with 266 receiving yards on 11 catches and three touchdowns. And the Chiefs still thought, eh, we're not going to really cover him. Third and 27, with a, a 31-31 game late in the fourth quarter, almost any defense in the NFL is getting off the field on third and 27. You get a stop, the Bengals got a punt, and you give Patrick Holmes on his offense the ball late in the fourth quarter, chance to win the game. You feel pretty damn good. And instead, they continue to cover Jamar Chase one-on-one. And guess what happened? You know. Big-time conversion. Game goes on. You can't have that. You can't rely on that in the playoffs, but that's who I think this Chiefs defense is. Unreliable. And even worse is yesterday, Joe Mixon did not have a very good game. Really didn't have a good game at all. So you knew... All right, the game's going to be on Joe Burrow's shoulders. You knew he was going to be passing the ball to have any sort of success. They knew the pass was coming, still couldn't stop it. So now, when you're Kansas City and you face, you know, you're looking at who you're going to play in the playoffs, and you have to go against the Bengals, Josh Allen is on against the Bills, the Chargers. Those teams are going to give you fits. Those teams are going to give you a lot of problems. You cannot rely on your defense to get your stops there. And now, they get out of the AFC, because I still do think the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl from the AFC. But now, you look at you have to face a Green Bay offense, a Rams offense, a Bucks offense. There's going to be major, major secondary issues that I don't think you can rely this defense upon. And I think at some points, this defense for the Chiefs has been overrated in part because of the teams they have played and the timing they have played them. Like yesterday, kind of truly did show you, and it served as a reminder, this Chiefs defense, come postseason time, Still can't be relied upon. It's better than what Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid and Co. have had in recent years, but it's definitely not as good as we thought maybe it was a few weeks ago when even when the Chiefs' offense is struggling, they are still winning games in part because their defense is holding teams to 10 points to 13 points to 17 points, and the Chiefs' offense was still just able to do enough to win the game. Yesterday, I think, was very, very revealing for this Chiefs offense, there absolutely should be concern come playoff time. Speaking of concern, what the hell did we see happen yesterday in the Meadowlands? Something none of us have ever seen before, and that's Antonio Brown cut during the game. We have some new information about what led to Antonio Brown's outburst on the sideline and why the Bucks really messed up timing-wise. I'll tell you why that is when we do return here, it's the Ryan Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back again to the Ryan Hickey Show. Hope everyone had a, a great Great New Year. I will say one of the fun things I did for the first time on New Year's Day. 
take a little, do a little polar bear plunge. You know, you jump into the ocean, usually for a great cause, support a nice charity. Now, I will say it was very enjoyable, but kind of with an asterisk. Um, I was in Ocean City, Maryland. It was 60 degrees. Now, it was raining, but it was still very, very warm. So, maybe that's kind of the reason why it seems so appealing and so nice. You, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I was in the water for 10 seconds, in and out. But still, wasn't as bad as I thought. But I almost kind of figure like now it was almost kind of like one of those things where it was so good the first time that it will never be that warm or that perfect conditions again. But with that said, still a, a great way to kind of ring in 2022. Um, and hopefully whatever you did as well was a great, great way to ring in the new year. Tell you who had a, a pretty bad new year, a really bad new year, probably the worst new year you could have. And that's Antonio Brown. Now, as we know, right, we've all seen the video by this point. His outburst on the sideline where he throws his shoulder pads down. He takes his shirt off. He's throwing the gloves into the crowd. He's jogging on the field during the game. Like, the, the Bucks are on offense or about the defense on the other side of the field. He's running in the back of the end zone on the other side as he runs off. Apparently, he tried to hop into, you know, try to get a police escort to the airport. Looked like he picked up by an Uber. It was something we have never seen, right? Vontae Davis retired at halftime. That seems like a... a Smart decision, like a, a not ludicrous statement after watching A.B. get cut during the game and, and basically run off the field um, yesterday at the Meadowlands. Today we have some new information. Ian Rappaport has, has been digging around, talking to people, and we have some more background of what happened yesterday. So according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, he's reporting that Antonio Brown hurt his ankle. He didn't practice Thursday. He didn't practice Friday. Even Ian Rapport himself said he was skeptical of whether A.B. would even be able to suit up and play on Sunday. Well, as we know, because of the way we saw him take off his equipment, he had to put it on first, meaning he was active in the game. He was on, you know, on the active roster, and the expectation was he was going to play. Uh, during the game, Bruce Arians, the offensive coach, says, hey, you know, A.B., let's go. You're suited up. You're, we think you know, you're healthy enough to play. Get on the field. Let's get going here. A.B. said no. He didn't think his ankle was healthy enough to get into the game. So he basically said, I'm not going. So Bruce Arians said, if you're not going in, you're not a part of this team. You're gone. You're out of here. So he said, fine. And that's what led to the the, uh, the shoulder pad toss, the t-shirt toss, the glove toss into the crowd, and him waving and firing up the crowd weirdly as he's running off the field yesterday. So, again, an ankle injury that A.B. didn't feel like he was healthy enough. The coaches did. He was asked to go in the game. He said, no, I'm not going in. And Bruce Harris said, you're not going in. You're off the team. And A.B. said, fine, I'm out of here. He was cut during the game, which is, again, something that I thought Vontae Davis retiring at halftime for the Bills a few years ago. Something will never, like, nothing will ever top that in terms of just wild player, um, I guess, transaction stories is what we'll call it. Antonio Brown getting cut during the game and running off, I think is going to be the craziest player getting cut story we'll ever experience ever again. I don't say anything tops it. So that's the information that we have, according to Ian Rapport. Let me say this. Number one, he shouldn't, I, I can't say can't, but I will say shouldn't ever be in the NFL again. I don't know how any team looks at Antonio Brown yesterday, looks at his Raiders tenure, looks at his Patriots tenure, looks at the end of his Steelers tenure where you have a basically a playoff game week 17 a few years ago in Pittsburgh and he doesn't show up. He goes MIA. 
I don't know how you know you look at that and say, oh, he'll be fine when it comes to our team. No team. I get the talent is still there, and he is still one of the best receivers when he's healthy and when he's when he's motivated and locked in in the NFL. But the Steelers, the Raiders, the Patriots, and now the Bucks. That should be the last time now because this has been a pattern that's too long. You can only give someone so many chances. Four chances is, is frankly, three too many when it comes to Antonio Brown. That now should be the last time. The last image, the last time we ever see Antonio Brown in an NFL uniform on an NFL field should be him jogging off the tunnel shirtless yesterday. But let's also remember, this is him playing with his best friend in Tom Brady. He was supposed to be on his best behavior. He was supposed to kind of be under the watch, under the tutelage, and he was going to kind of put his best foot forward because he's playing with his best pal and his best buddy, Tom Brady, the only quarterback, Courtney A.B., he wants to play for. And that was still not even enough to have him come to his senses and just be a good team player. Now, the Bucks cutting A.B. to me is six weeks too late. He should have been cut as soon as the fake vaccine card incident happened in mid-November. Should never even, you know, sat out the three games. Should have been just cut on the spot right there. Yeah, I said six weeks ago, or now I guess over two months ago. He should have, you know, you can't trust him. Even if you're Tom Brady, right? If you're Tom Brady, you vouch for him. You basically are his parent. That's what Tom Brady was to Antonio Brown this last year in Tampa. He was basically his parent. Watches every move. Made sure he's doing the right thing. Trying to make sure he's staying in line because he liked the talent Tom Brady did that AB brought to the receiving court. And you have A.B. basically embarrass you and slap you in the face by getting a fake vaccine card in order to get the privileges of uh, to be a vaccinated player without actually getting the shot. You lied to the team, lied to the NFL, technically lied to law enforcement, although it doesn't look like they will press charges there. But that, I thought, was an embarrassment where you had Bruce Arians last year say he's one and done. If he's one group, he's out of here. Obviously, we know that was not the case because they turned around still on the team. And it only took a few games later. Once he returned, for him to act like a clown yet again, embarrass himself in the latest fashion. And again, for me, the Bucks kind of got what they deserved. They should have just freed themselves of it six weeks ago. They still thought he would be fine. He'll be on his best behavior. Guess what? A.B. is still A.B. as we've seen. And the latest embarrassment now, with one game left in the regular season, takes away another weapon for Tom Brady. Like this guy, I, I tell you. We talked about before him playing with Tom Brady. He's just not a good teammate. He was a, somehow, see, miraculous. He was on his best behavior for the last eight games of the regular season and the, the three or four playoff games that he played in last year. It's a miracle. But no team will be able to trust him now if you see the two things he pulled this year. Again, playing with the only guy he respects, the only guy he wants to play for in Tom Brady. Yesterday used to be the last we have seen of Antonio Brown on the NFL. How about luck, right? What's the old adage? Sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good. That was played out perfectly for Zach Taylor yesterday. I love aggressive coaching. I think coaches should go for it more than they do on fourth down. I don't hate the going for two um, aggressiveness that has you know, kind of taken over the NFL. A lot of people talk about analytics leading to aggressiveness. I think it's good. I think it's smart. I like, think that's the way you should play the game. But there is, to me, a difference between aggressiveness and stupidity. And I thought yesterday, the final minute of the game, Zach Taylor was acting in stupidity more than aggressiveness. 31-31 tie, two-minute warning. Bengals have a first and goal at the Chiefs' one-yard line. Chiefs have two timeouts. So I know there are some people on Twitter, yesterday as always, 
saying that the Chiefs messed up. They should have let the Bengals score from the one-yard line. I disagree. Because by the time, you know, there's three three attempts to get in the end zone by Cincinnati, they were stuffed all three times. So now, after the two timeouts were burned, you have fourth and goal at the one-yard line, 58 seconds left. If you were the Chiefs, that's a win. Because you assume they kicked the field goal, and now you have, even though you have no timeouts, 58 seconds for Patrick Holmes, they needing only a field goal to tie and a touchdown to win the game. I think you take that every time. So I don't agree with the letting them score aspect if you're the Chiefs defense and letting the Bengals score a touchdown. Because then, okay, you still have plenty of time. You have your two timeouts. But now also you need a touchdown just to pull on the game where I'd rather, I'd rather take, let's say, 58 seconds, no timeouts, down by three. I'd rather that situation if I'm Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs rather than, let's say, a minute 45, two timeouts, down by seven. That's me. So I don't, I don't fault Andy Reid for how he played his timeout uh, usage and how aggressive he told T. Spagnuolo to be defensively to try to keep the Bengals out of the end zone. Zach Taylor, though, again, better lucky than good. He was lucky, but he went for it not once, but twice on fourth down and was bailed out both times, and I thought that was acting in stupidity. Fourth and goal from the one in the tie game. For me, you take the field goal. You take the lead in the fourth quarter. I get sure, again, there's still a lot of time for Patrick Holmes, and it's a three-point lead. You never feel safe about it. But you, to me, you take the point, you take the lead every single time in the fourth quarter. I get the old, you know, I'm personally of the belief that, you know what, against the Chiefs, against elite offensive teams, field goals don't win games, touchdowns do. In that situation, I think a field goal, though, is the right move because, again, you're late in the fourth quarter. There's a minute left. You take the lead, and instead, Zach Taylor, after I haven't seen a replay. I think Joe Mixon was maybe in. It was bang, bang, right on the line. The, the referees ruled him short of the goal line, but offsetting penalties, one on the Chiefs, one on the Bengals, had to redo it. It was a mulligan for Zach Taylor to say, okay, you know what? I'm not that dumb. We're going to just kick the field goal. We're going to take the lead, and we're going to, with 50 seconds left, rely on our defense. But instead, he went for it again and got bailed out again with a pretty... I don't say soft, but with a very inconsequential move by a Chiefs defensive back that hit Jamar Chase in the face, did not impact the route at all. That was called hands to the face, so technically sure is right, but had really no impact on the play. It was just a, a good defensive stop by the Chiefs. Incomplete pass, but again, that penalty led to a first down for Bengals. They overtake a knee, and obviously, as you know, they kicked the game in the field goal with no time left. Zach Taylor, I thought, acted in a, a stupid manner. And got bailed out. Got extremely, extremely lucky. But you take the field goal there. Let's also not forget, the defense in this game did a tremendous job on Kansas City in the, in the second half. The Chiefs offense only scored three points in the second half. They scored 20 in the first half, just three in the second half. So you got to feel, okay, three-point lead, 50 seconds left. I get it to Holmes. I get it to you know, Andy Reid and the Chiefs offense. You got to feel pretty good with how your defense was playing that you could hold on to a three-point lead with less than a minute to go. And then Zach Taylor was bailed out, and I think he made a big mistake going for it. But, like I said, it worked out. They win the game. They win the AFC North. Congrats to you. I just hope he never does that again. That is, can't do that again. Trey Lance made his return to the 49ers uh, starting quarterback of Jimmy G. Hurt his thumb, was unable to play. It was inactive yesterday. For me, it's time. All season long, I'll be honest, I was on the Jimmy G starter train. I thought this year should serve as a redshirt year for Trey Lance. If he's not ready to play, which it sounds like both John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan kind of figured that was going to be the case with Trey Lance, you, you don't play him. 
You have them registered. You practice every single day. But you don't put them. You don't put a quarterback on the field that's not ready to play. We saw that earlier in the year. Week I think it was week five when Jimmy G hurt his calf and couldn't play. And Trey Lance got the start against the Cardinals. He was shaky. It was you know the accuracy was an issue. He wasn't really asked to do a ton. They lost the game. I will say though, watching yesterday's game now, great against the Texans, but watching yesterday's game, I think for me solidifies the fact that it's Trey Lance time. If I was Kyle Shanahan, I would leave Trey Lance as my starting quarterback the rest of the year. Next weekend, and what is a de facto playoff game for the 49ers, and if they win that game, I'd leave him as a starter going forward for a few reasons. Number one, when you look at just the injury for Jimmy Garoppolo, right? it's, it's an injury on his throwing hand on his thumb. That's a major, major injury for a quarterback. He wasn't healthy enough to play yesterday. The reports also came out yesterday he's going to need surgery to fix this injury after the season. So how truly efficient can Jimmy Garoppolo be next week or in the postseason if his thumb injury wasn't healed enough to have him play this week and he's also going to need surgery after the season? By the way, the season ends, you know, could end next week for the 49ers, depending on how the game goes. So we are, you know, right at the tail end. So it's either it's now or never for Jimmy G to be the quarterback to come back and be healthy enough. I think for me, I would take a fully healthy Trey Lance over a 50% Jimmy Garoppolo. Not to mention... This is a valuable opportunity and a valuable learning lesson for Trey Lance going forward. It's no secret. He is the future. He's going to be the quarterback of 2022 moving forward. He is the guy that the 49ers believe can lead them to the Super Bowl and multiple Super Bowls. They traded all those first-round picks to move up to number three and take him. So now you're at the point where you are, where Jimmy G is hurt. Trey Lance came in. I thought he progressed nicely through the game yesterday where he's really comfortable the second half moving forward. This is a valuable learning opportunity for Trey Lance here. It's a playoff game against the Rams next week. Win and you're in. You win that game, obviously, then you go to the playoffs and you play whoever you know the seeding works out to be. These uh, reps in big games, I think, is extremely valuable for the 49ers. Let's call for what it is. They're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. No matter who's a quarterback, I don't think they're beating the Packers. I don't think they're beating the Rams. I don't think they're beating the, the Buccaneers. So I'd rather right now roll with Trey Lance in a game where yesterday, 16-23, 249 yards, two touchdowns. And again, the first half I thought was shaky. Running the ball a little bit more than I would have liked. Accuracy was eh. Question, you know, decision-making was eh. But you saw in the second half, he let the game come to him, made some nice throws, got the offense moving after a really slow first half. The offense really picked it up in the second half. I think this is a great experience opportunity for Trey Lance. For the future is now, which means Trey Lance should be starting for the 49ers next week and for the rest of the season. No more Jimmy G. Congrats to the Packers. They smoke the Vikings yesterday. Sean Mannion, man. And you thought Sean Mannion was bad yesterday. Did you see what Mike Zimmer said? Mike Zimmer is asked, do you want to get a look at Kellen Mond more next week? Mike Zimmer said, no, I do not. He was asked why. He said, I see him every day in practice. Which just goes to show you how bad Kellen Mond must be and how a waste of a pick it must have been in the third round in the 2020 draft. That is the most brutally honest I think I've ever heard a coach talk about a player, maybe in my lifetime, saying he is so bad. I see him in practice every day. I do not want to see him in the game any more than I have to. Kellen Mond, safe to say, might be on a new team next year or maybe even in a new league. Maybe USFL. Could be his next stop. But going back to the Packers, though. Look, they they beat the, the Vikings. They officially lock up the number one seed for the second consecutive year. I get we always talk about Lambeau Field and the home field advantage. This, though, to me, 
doesn't ensure the Packers are going to the Super Bowl. Last year, I was on the I was on the thought and I was on the I guess the bandwagon, if you will, that the Packers get home field are going to the Super Bowl. I didn't think any team last year was whether it was with the Buccaneers, whether it was the Rams, whether it was the host of the Plus, any of those, you know, the Saints, any of those teams in the NFC, I didn't think any of them were going to go to Lambeau and win. They all were either dome teams or warm weather teams. I didn't think any team had a shot going into Lambeau and winning. And as we know, the Rams couldn't, but the obviously Tom Brady and the Bucks did. Going into this year, I'm not on that same boat where I don't think the Packers are impenetrable at home. They got home field. That's obviously an advantage for them. But I do think the Rams can go into Lambeau and win. I know they didn't already this year, but I think they can this time around and go into win. I think the, uh, the Buccaneers can absolutely go in there and win. I don't think it's a lock now that the Packers getting home field advantage, being the only team with a true weather advantage. Because, again, look at the Cardinals, the 49ers, the Rams, the Bucks. All warm weather and or dome teams. Lambeau Field is the only true home field advantage in the playoffs this season in the NFC. Even with that said, though, I don't think it's a lock for the uh, for the Packers to make the make the Super Bowl. They're just seven and six. The Packers are at home in the playoffs since 2002. Seven and six. Lambeau Field has been this big time home field advantage that's been portrayed at when in reality, it's not the case. The cold weather really doesn't impact teams as much as we like to think or much as we, you know, like to hope if you're a Packers fan. Now, I will say, getting the number one seed is bigger for the bye than it is for getting home field advantage. Like, getting Aaron Rodgers that week off, having him now have a week to rest his toe, maybe two weeks so they don't play him next week, and he sits out week 18, that to me is a bigger impact for the Packers and their hopes of going to the Super Bowl than is just being a home field advantage, playing in the elements, playing in the cold. That is the true difference. Home field didn't help him too much last year. I think the bye, getting Aaron Rodgers a much-needed week off for that toe injury to heal, or just not even heal, just get better, I think is a bigger impact um, for the Packers' Super Bowl hopes than is Lambeau Field. We'll finish up quick hits with this. Joe Judge yesterday, I thought made a fool of himself. The final question of his press conference was asked, Hey, Joe, another embarrassing loss. You got blown out by the Bears 29-3. Why should fans still believe that you are the guy that can turn this team around? He won on an 11-minute, 7-second diatribe. No joke. 2,614 words. Shout out to Zach Rosenblatt, a, a Giants beat writer, who timed it and transcribed the entire thing. 2,614 word Basically, defense of the job he has done so far. And I thought he contradicted himself, made himself look like a fool for this reason. He tried to portray the Giants aren't a clown organization, aren't an embarrassment. But I thought the way he described it showed the Giants are an embarrassment. Like his big point that he hammered home was it the offense getting better? Was it the defensive improvement? Wasn't the growth of some of their young players? Wasn't the elimination of the same mistakes repeating themselves? His big defense, his point that he kept hammering home was the fact that the players haven't quit. Despite the fact that Joe Judge is 10 and 22 so far in almost two full seasons as Giants head coach, he is pointing to the fact that the Giants have not quit as a reason why this team is. Um, as a reason why this team, you know, or why he's the guy to lead them 
uh, lead this Giants to a turnaround and lead them to the playoffs and, and Super Bowls and success. Like he's talking about, like, let's just think about this here. Guys that are getting paid millions of dollars that are professional athletes. He is crediting them for playing hard. That, like, that's it. This is, again, coming off a game where I get it's Mike Lennon, but you are playing a Bears team that is equally as inept as you, or you would have thought before the game. You had an offense that passed for 24 yards yesterday. You were embarrassed and blown out by Andy Dalton and the Chicago Bears by a coach who's about to get fired in Matt Nagy, and probably Jim and Ryan Pace are going to get fired as well. You get blown out. And here Joe Judge is saying that he's happy the players are playing hard, and he's talking about a fourth down stop and the game's already over as a reason why this team's turning it around. Like he goes, oh, you know, we're not a clown organization. We're not having fist fights on the sideline in reference to the Washington football team last week in Dallas. We don't have golf clubs outside of our locker like reportedly Golden Tate did with the Giants a few years ago where he had golf clubs outside of his locker to kind of show he's already checked out of the season despite the fact there's a few games left, but the season in his mind is already over. That's what he's pointing to. He said we're not a clown show organization. We're not an embarrassment. But here Joe Judge is giving a 12-minute speech about a fourth down stop as you already got your ass handed to you by the Chicago Bears for your fifth loss in a row. Where this team, by the way, the Giants, Joe Judge talks about competitiveness. Always guys playing hard, being in the game. By the way, Joe, it's nice that your guys are playing hard when the season's already over and the, and the game is already decided. But how about for the first three quarters of the game, the team is even competitive enough to keep the game close? Like Joe Judge is praising his guys in one sense for playing hard through the final whistle, which is what, as a coach, right, you always want your players to be playing hard, giving it their all no matter the score, no matter the record, no matter how the season's gone, you want your players to play hard. But he's failing to, to realize or, or even discuss the fact that he's proud of the guys who are playing hard means there is plenty of reasons for this team to quit because they're getting blown out in every game they're playing. It doesn't matter the opponent. The Bears are one of the most hapless offenses and most hapless organizations in the NFL. And they... Gave it to the Giants. They took them to the woodshed. You have the New York Jets playing more competitive games against better teams than the Giants are. The Jets pushed Tom Brady and should have beat the Bucs yesterday. And now you have Joe Judge here coming off a 29-3 loss to the Bears. Talking about a fourth down stop and how they're not a clown organization. Joe Judge should be fired, and I think he will be fired at the end of the year. That was an embarrassment. Like, there is, you're talking a little self-awareness. You... you you have no self-awareness if your big defense why you should keep your job is that the guys are playing hard. Forget the fact that the, another losing record, this team regressed this year compared to last year. And they were 6-10 and 10 last year. Think about that. And now we're talking about a team getting blown out every single game. But hey, they're still trying in the fourth quarter, four minutes left. They're still giving it their all. Paid, millionaire, professional athletes still trying hard. That's the participation trophy. Joe Judge is giving out. What a joke. What a joke. And it's, uh, that's, to me, why it's contradictory. He talks about, you know, not being a clown organization, and here he is basically patting himself on the back after another blowout where he says, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm not someone who throws anyone under the bus. And then he throws Pat Shermer under the bus because he claims that players told him, the, you know, the Giants quit in 2019. And, you know, there he is, you know, talking about how he's not going to blame anyone, but guess what? Jason Garris fired midway through the year. You had Mark Colombo try to fight you reportedly, your own coach, reportedly try to fist fight you last year during the season. 
Giants, though, definitely first class. Definitely doing all the right things, heading the right direction. What an embarrassment. Dave Gellman's going to be gone. Joe Judge should be gone as well. We return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. College football playoff is coming gone. We have an all-SEC national title game. We have a rematch of Georgia and Alabama. Georgia impressed me so much on Friday. I think they're going to win the national title. And there's one reason I want to point to when we return. I'll tell you what that is. You listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. There we go. My apologies. Still working out the kinks for the new year, trying to get back into uh, work mode after what is always a, a fun little holiday week and a half or so with Christmas and New Year's and all that uh, incomplete. So hopefully by Thursday, we'll have a spotless and sharp 2022 show. As a reminder, though, 10 o'clock hour on the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Network, always sponsored by LC Design. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious, aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. Again, Happy New Year. Hopefully your new year sports-wise was better than mine. I got to watch Penn State lose in embarrassing fashion to Arkansas on New Year's Day. Watch the Colts lose to the Raiders yesterday. Tough. Tough 2022 start for yours truly here sports-wise. But whether it was sports, whether it was just having a good time, hopefully 2022, yours was off to a better start than mine. We appreciate you starting the new year with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. As we get set, right, we are one week away. One week from today, we'll have the national title game, Georgia and Alabama. So if we go back to Friday, New Year's Eve, for the college football playoff semifinal games, Coming out of that game, I'll be honest, I was a lot more impressed with Georgia than Alabama on Friday. I feel really, really good, actually, about the Bulldogs coming out of this game. Because for me, it wasn't the fact that just Georgia beat Michigan and was able to get back to the national title game. I thought equally as important to Georgia winning was how they won. The fact that they were able to dominate from the very beginning, get off to a hot start, a hot start, um, almost look like the Georgia team we've seen for most of the year coming off that Alabama embarrassing loss, I thought was is impressive, uh, important, and I do think is key to a um, key to a Georgia national title win. Because I'll be honest, I picked Georgia to beat Michigan, and I beat Georgia to cover the seven and a half points. I thought they were going to win and win handily. But I, I can't lie. I can't sit here and lie to my, my, my great audience that you guys are. But you guys trust me to tell you what I believe. I would never lie to you. So I can't sit here and say I was fully confident that I expected Georgia to come out sharp. I was nervous that the Alabama hangover was going to have an impact on the game. Because right? you think about it, how deflating that loss was to the Tide in the, in the SEC title game. Right, they lost for the seventh consecutive time to Alabama, and that loss in blowout fashion, losing forty-one twenty-four. Frankly, from the national perspective, right, it felt like it wiped away the twelve-game dominant regular season that Georgia had. Right, they were twelve and zero outside of really the Clemson game, and they won ten three in the first game. There was no team that even you know was on the same level as Georgia the rest of the season. They blew out every team, uh, every single team they faced. Everyone, right? It wasn't just me, but it was. A lot of people would agree it was Georgia, 
and then everyone else. Alabama was in that category. Cincinnati was in that category. Michigan, Ohio State, whoever you know you thought had a real chance to win a title. There was really at any point the second half of the year, it was just Georgia and everyone else. That's how wide the gap was and how well Georgia was playing compared to every other team in college football. But that loss to Bama almost, like, like I said, wiped it away because now there's questions. Is this defense really that good? There's questions about Georgia's schedule. What the hell are they going to do with quarterback? Stetson Bennett shows you he can't keep up in a shootout. It's time to go back to JT Daniels. There was a lot of questions that Georgia had to hear about, had to try to answer. And they had basically three weeks to let it marinate, kind of have it sit there. And it could have gone one of two ways. They could have used it to motivate them, like they did on Friday, or they could have started doubting themselves. That's why I want to give Kirby Smart a lot of credit here because he was able to get rid of the doubts. He was able to reinstill the belief and the swagger and the confidence that Georgia had throughout the regular season, and they took it to Michigan, who arguably coming into the game, actually not arguably, was. Michigan was the hottest team in college football coming to that game. Right? They, they dominated Ohio State. They blew the doors off of Iowa. They had some serious momentum and confidence, Michigan did, going into that game. And to Kirby Smart's credit, the dogs came out sharp, motivated, confident. Right, you look at the start of the game. Georgia gets the ball, march right down the field effortlessly, touchdown. Boom. Get an immediate stop by defense, get the ball back, go right down the field again, touchdown. Boom. Get another stop, field goal. Next thing you know, it's 17-0 right away. And you saw immediately Georgia was able to not only put the Alabama loss behind them, they were able to use that as fuel and only make them better, not worse. Because again, when you lose seven games in a row to Alabama, when you now have your entire dominant season start to be questioned after just one game, it's easy now to have those doubts creep into your own mind. Are we really that good as we thought? Like, yeah, we beat Arkansas, but how good is Arkansas? Yeah, we beat Kentucky. Is Kentucky really an elite team? Not really. We saw Clemson's season just fall off a cliff. So you, the more you start to evaluate what Georgia did this season, the more questions of, do we overrate them? Did we really kind of fall into a trap where they are not as good as we were saying they actually were? And to Georgia's credit, and very importantly, by the way, they were showed you there's no hangover. We're not thinking about it. We are still an elite team. We're going to show you again why we are. Now, this team got off to a slow start. They had barely beat Michigan, but it was one of those very sloppy performances where they were timid. They didn't have the same confidence. Maybe defensively, they weren't you know, as dominant as we saw them be in the regular season. There was real reason for concern they would lose again to Alabama. But I really do think it's important that they not only beat Michigan, obviously, statement of the year, but also they did so in a dominant fashion where they didn't even give Michigan a chance to breathe. Again, right away. That shows you they came out with a hot start ready to play, ready to show the doubters wrong instead of doubting themselves. That, to me, was the reason why I thought Georgia's uh, performance was more impressive and more important than what Alabama did at Cincinnati. We'll get to them in a second here, but I also want to point out this. I think another thing we can take away from this game is it's Stetson Bennett's job. Like uh, He was obviously named the starter, and he's been the starter since JT Daniels got hurt and never relinquished the job. But coming into this game... I said it on Thursday's show and I was giving my prediction. I thought it was important for JT Daniels to get some reps at some point. Maybe get a drive in the second quarter. Maybe if it was a blowout like this game was, get a few drives, get a few you know reps under his belt. So he is kind of warmed up and ready if, 
another, you know, repeat of the SEC championship game happens again where Alabama's scoring and you need now some juice and offense, you could turn to JT Daniels and he's not coming in ice cold off the bench. The fact that JT Daniels didn't even get one snap in the blowout win over uh, Michigan tells you two things. Number one, either he's not healthy enough to play, right? whether it's COVID-related where he got down to Miami a few days after the team. We assume it was COVID-related, but there's no official word on that. Whether it's his still his injuries, whether it's his oblique, whether it's allowed, he's just not healthy enough to play. Uh, that's it. Or they are just rolling with 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 sets of bed, and they believe you know come hell or high water, he's our guy. Todd Monk and the offense coordinator Curry Smart, obviously the head coach, both are last week leading to the game had a very strong defensive Stetson Bennett and his and his play. Tom Munkin said he can absolutely win national title uh, with Stetson as his quarterback. I wouldn't go that far. I still think you need JT Daniels. Uh, he's a more dynamic quarterback. He's the one who can get it done through the air more, and he gives this offense, I think, more juice and, a, and more explosiveness than Stetson Bennett. But I do think now that the fact that JT Daniels didn't play kind of shows it doesn't matter what's going to happen next week. It's going to be Stetson Bennett's game, and either he's going to lead him to a national championship or similar to what happened in the SEC title game, they're going to fall short. But there's no life raft. There's no Hail Mary coming from JT Daniels. I would guess, and I would assume, based on the fact that he didn't play one snap in a blowout win, to where, let's look, like, the, the reason why I thought getting reps was important for JT was because he has not thrown a pass since November 20th against Charleston Southern. So by the time this game kicks off on, what is it going to be, the January 10th, it's almost two months. Of not playing. You need to play in the game. I get practice helps, and you can, you know, especially going against the Georgia defense, it could give you, you know, almost a very game-like feel. But on a stage like that, I do think it's important for a quarterback that hasn't played too often to get some reps under his belt, feel comfortable, feel loose again, because it gives you the best chance to win. And the fact that Georgia didn't do that, I think it's telling. I don't think it's a cat and mouse game. I don't think Kirby Smart is holding his hand, you know, close to the vest and trying to fool Nick Saban. Nick Saban's no dummy. He saw what happened in the SEC title game. He knows, just like everyone else knows, JT Daniels is the best quarterback. So I'm sure whether JT Daniels played on Friday or not, which obviously he didn't, Nick Saban's going to have this team ready if JT Daniels comes in. So by not playing him, it's not like you're going to, you know, pull the old bait and switch and, and fool Nick Saban. That's not happening. That's absolutely not happening. No one's fooling Nick Saban. But I do think it's a, it shows you more from Georgia's perspective that they are riding with Setson Bennett. Come hell or high water, he's going to be their guy. I think it's a mistake, personally. I do think you should have had JT Daniels ready to go, kind of a break glass in case of emergency to give yourself an actual chance to beat Alabama if the defense, again, can't get a stop and Bryce Young goes off like he did in the SEC title game with threw for 421 yards and three touchdowns. But what do I know? I'm not head coach of Georgia. I'm not about to lead my team to my second national title appearance against Alabama the last five years. But like I said, you dominate, absolutely dominate Michigan, the hottest team, and they played Georgia did. Like they, that Alabama game is long gone in their mind. I think that's very important. Very, very important. For Alabama, they had dominated, and I'll give a I was dead wrong. Alabama controlled the pace of the game in a way I didn't think they were able to. They were physical. They again they they controlled the game in the line of scrimmage and they really even though the score was kind of never out of control till the end right it was twenty or twenty seven to six the final score so it wasn't it wasn't like Michigan where they're down seventeen nothing the fourth quarter before you blink this game was closer it was um you know the halftime score was still two scores so 
Cincinnati was in the game for, let's say, three quarters, but it never really felt like it because Alabama was just the dominant team and controlled the flow of the game. Like I said, I wasn't expecting that. Alabama for, I'll say, 11 out of the 13 games here was inconsistent and didn't play their best both offensively and defensively, and I thought that would continue in this game. And they were able to dominate the game in a way I didn't think they could on the ground. Like Brian Robinson on Friday ran for 204 yards. 7.8 yards per carry. That was just the fifth game this season out of now 14 where he ran for over 100 yards. The run game was not as an important of a factor for Alabama this year as it was in past years. As it was when Najee Harris and Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry were there. This was more an air raid offense led by Bryce Young and they were able to dominate on the ground. Impose their will. So credit to Alabama for playing a very consistent game against Cincinnati. Now they get the rematch against Georgia to win another national title. Nick Saban's eighth, Alabama's seventh, which is just just absolutely unbelievable. I'll say this really quickly. I don't want to hear about Cincinnati not belonging. I don't want to hear about this is proof the group of five doesn't belong. Cincinnati, even though they lost by three touchdowns, 27 to six, they belonged in that game. This should not be, you know, you cannot point to this game and say, that's why the group of five should never get another cultural playoff berth as long as it's four teams and some even go as extreme as eight or 12. It still shouldn't be in. They belong. The best four teams that are what conference you're in, I think it should be in the playoff. I think that was the case this year. And I'll ask you this question. If you don't think Cincinnati belonged, if you don't think they represented themselves um, to at least show that, you know what, it wasn't a mistake putting them in there. Who are you going to replace um, Cincinnati with that was going to put up a better effort? You're going to replace them with who? Oklahoma State? Baylor? Like, there's no team you could put in there at the fourth seed and tell me they would have given Alabama a better game than what Cincinnati did. Just the, just the, the reality of what we're in in college football. It was, this is a very inconsistent year, but I do not think that... Cincinnati's effort and the way they played should be any should kind of put any sort of ban on group of five teams going forward. They they absolutely belonged. When we do return here on the Ryan Q show, week 17, I thought there were some big winners. There were some massive, massive losers. We'll tell you what the who won, who lost when the Ryan Q show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Week 17, almost. Almost in the books. One last game tonight. Steelers and Browns. Big Ben's final home game of his career. It does uh, appear that way. I don't think he'll be signed by another team, and I don't think the Steelers will bring him back. Uh, Big Ben kind of alluded to that. Did not officially announce his retirement, but it seems all the likelihood that this will be it for him in a in a black jersey in Pittsburgh later on tonight. But I thought there were some big-time winners from Week 17 alone and some big-time losers. Let's hit some winners first, right? Let's get some positivity going here. On the Rams, 
Rams were, a, to me, a huge winner yesterday. I know they barely pulled one out against the Ravens. We'll get to that. But more importantly for them, their seeding in the NFC took a huge, huge, huge boost up. They went over the Ravens. Couple with the Cowboys losing, the Rams right now are the number two seed in the NFC. That's massive. If you now not only get to move up in the NFC, get to, you know, really play whether it's the Eagles, whether it's the 49ers in, in the first round of the playoffs, you get an extra playoff game at home. That's massive. They're five and two, the Rams are at SoFi Stadium. You now, instead of going to Tampa Bay, which as we have seen, the Bucks this year have been a different home and road team. The splits are pretty massive. So now you get to go against Tom Brady in your own house. Never easy. Not saying that, you know, that's a, uh, a walkover by any stretch of the imagination, but it does make it easier to win when you're at home. So now the Rams get two home playoff games. Uh, if, again, the seedings stay where they are, and it's a huge boost for the Rams if they try to want to, if, you know, to get to the Super Bowl. But also the biggest reason, or I should say another reason why they're a big winner, is because I thought they had a really impressive win over the Ravens yesterday. I get it was ugly. Matt Stafford played really bad for almost three quarters of the game. Threw some bad picks. Had a pick six. I do think, though, when it comes to playoff football, when you need to play your best at, you know, at the biggest moments of the game, he played his best to lead the Rams to the eventual game-winning touchdown drive. Like, we have seen it early in the year from Matt Stafford. Whether it was the Titans game, where he threw two awful picks, one was returned for a touchdown. The 49ers game on Monday Football, they were blown out. The Packers game, where he threw another pick six, and they lost that game. All three of those games, Matthew Stafford got off to a pretty poor start and was never able to rebound. This is a game, really for the first time this year, where Matthew Stafford had a bad start, did not play well early on against the Ravens, and was able to rebound to lead them to a victory. That's what you need your quarterback to do in the playoffs. It's not going to be all, you know, sunshine and roses. You're not going to be throwing for 450 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, and basically like have two incomplete passes every single playoff game. You're going to have to face adversity. You're going to have to overcome adversity and be able to overcome, let's say, a okay game or overcome a mistake you make to lead your team to a game-winning touchdown drive, field goal drive to tie the game, whatever. Win, tie the game, you know what I'm saying. So I think it was impressive and important for Matthew Stafford to be able to do that yesterday. I think it shows growth for him and his play and gives the Rams some optimism that, you know what, Stafford can win us the big game. So they moved up in the NFC, right? Now they're currently the number two seed. You could get two playoff games. And depending if the Packers lose early on, maybe three. You have Matthew Stafford play, you know, play poorly, but bounce back in a big, you know, in a big moment to win the game. And also, let's go for what it is. One of the biggest team, one of the biggest hurdles they're gonna have to climb is the Bucks. Well, the Bucks lost a, an important talent from their team in Antonio Brown, right? They're already without Chris Godwin, who is a security blanket for Tom Brady. One of his other security blankets is Antonio Brown. Right? I, I trust me, I am not an AB fan at all. I think he's a total clown. I would have cut him. I never would have brought him to Tampa Bay last year. That was just me. I'm not a fan. Is they obviously did. He's not his best favorite. They won a Super Bowl. I would have cut him after the whole vaccine card incident. They didn't. And now you have the whole outburst happened yesterday. So Antonio Brown is now off the team. Despite the fact that almost everyone with a brain and eyes sees Antonio Brown as a distraction and enigma, Tom Brady, he liked him. He trusted him for whatever reason. I don't know why, but he did. So on the field, 
Him and Tom Brady had a good connection. It was a tough, you know, it's a tough matchup for defenses to worry about. Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Rob Gronkowski. So if you're the Rams, Tom Brady loses now another weapon he relies upon. Help, you know, makes your job on defense a lot easier. Now you look going to the postseason, there's no Chris Godwin, and there's no Antonio Brown. One less headache for the Rams defense to worry about. So it was a good day for the Rams. Absolutely a good day. The Titans, they also had a good day because just like we all thought, just like we all predicted, just like we all talked about, once Derrick Henry went down, we all said, this team is going to get the number one seed. The AFC playoffs, they're going through Tennessee. Absolutely just like we thought. But guess what? It looks like it's going to be the case. The Titans now with the Chiefs loss, as long as the uh, the Titans beat the Texans next week, they are going to have the number one seed in the AFC. They're going to get the bye, and the playoffs are going through Tennessee. Now, the bye week is huge, huge for Tennessee. You can make the argument the only team that the bye week is more important for is the Packers for Aaron Rodgers' toe. But I would sit here, I would say probably the bye is even more important for the Titans because now it buys yourself an extra week. It allows Derrick Henry a little bit more time to get ready to get back for the playoffs because, as we know, that team is still... Derrick Henry or bust. This team is not making the Super Bowl, I don't think, without Derrick Henry. I don't even think if he comes back, they will make the Super Bowl. But they have a lot better odds and a lot better chance to win when Derrick Henry is on the field in uniform and they're running the offense through him. So now you get the bye, you get home field advantage, and that's a huge feather in the Titans cap. Like I said, I don't think they're going to even win a playoff game. I don't trust them at all. But now, if you don't have to go to Arrowhead, if you get a week off, to get healthy and regroup, it's a huge boost for the Titans and their push to make the Super Bowl. That loss by the Chiefs, massive, big winners for the Titans. And I think for me, the biggest winner of yesterday, I thought it was Derek Carr. Derek Carr was, to me, the biggest winner of Week 17 because yesterday's win of the Colts, I thought was the biggest win of Derek Carr's career. Biggest win of his career. He not only now keeps the postseason hopes alive, um, for the Raiders, he did so on the road with a gutty performance against a very hot Colts team. Like, he played a great fourth quarter where he led a drive down for a touchdown to Hunter Renfro that gave the Raiders the lead. Then when the Colts answered with a field goal to tie, he let him down two-minute drill, made a great throw to Hunter Renfro on third down that eventually, you know, was caught that led to the game-winning Daniel Carlson field goal as the Raiders won. He was clutch yesterday. He was great yesterday. Biggest one of Derek Carr's career. And to his credit, he has single-handedly kept his team afloat all season long. We know what happened with John Gruden where the emails were leaked and he was fired for just discussing messages he was putting out there. We know the whole Henry Ruggs driving junk scenario, unfortunately killing someone. Now he's going to be facing a whole lot more serious issues than just you know designing coverages and trying to get open. So you, the Raiders have to deal with Missing, you know, or losing their head coach in John Gruden, uh, losing Henry Ruggs, and those gut punches that they were they felt. Now Derek Carr was still able to keep them afloat, keep them believing. Now they're in a win and in scenario next week, to where as long as they beat the Chargers, Sunday Night Football at home, they are going to the playoffs. I know there's no shot in how this team is making the playoffs. To be honest, I thought for sure that they would miss out. They got off to a hot start, and what happened? They're collapsing down the stretch. And this team, to, to Derek Carr's credit, has kept them afloat all season long. And I thought it came with the biggest um, biggest win 
of his career yesterday in Indy. Some losers. I thought the Chiefs were a big loser yesterday. Patrick Holmes now likely going to have to play his first road uh, playoff game of his career. Um, and that's assuming the Titans win one playoff game. But you lose it to the to the Bengals yesterday. I think your defense was exposed a little bit. And now also, to you lose out on the one seat, so you're going to have to play an extra playoff game. Which, look, I still am picking the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl. I'm not coming off that. But now you lose out on the number one seed. You lose out on home field advantage. And you lose out on the bye. As we know, right, the AFC was what this year? A wild, wide open conference. So you know, I still think the Chiefs are the best team. I still think they're getting to the, to the postseason. You now are just playing with fire. An extra test you have to pass in what has been an already up and down crazy year. It just You don't want to do it. And you want to play as little games in the postseason as possible in order to give yourself the best chance to make the Super Bowl. And the Chiefs lost that opportunity by losing to the Bengals. Lose out on the number one seed most likely. Now have to play an extra playoff game. And with the likelihood that Patrick Holmes has to play the first playoff game on the road of his career. Browns were also a big time loser just because now officially eliminated from the postseason. And one of the most disappointing and surprising results um, and finishes to a season I envisioned. Right? Coming off of this year or last year. I thought the Browns were legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I thought after week one, in which they lost to the Chiefs, they really showed themselves to be legitimate, like legit team that could go to the Super Bowl. And obviously, of course, as we know, the Baker Mayfield injury to his shoulder, other injuries across the offensive line, uh, to the running backs, to the receivers. They were banged up in a lot of situations. The injury bug banged them up. And that was unfortunate for them, a, a tough blow as well. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason. I do think in Cleveland here, they're going to have a lot of questions to answer. I would still run it back with Baker Mayfield, um, unless, of course, you can get Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers. I don't know the likelihood of any of those three going to Cleveland, but if you can't get one of those three, to me, there's no upgrade for Baker, uh, over Baker, I should say, for next year, and I do think that makes the most sense, but it's going to be a very interesting offseason for the first time in a long time for Cleveland where expectations were high and they fell short. Usually it's the other way around or usually it's there's no expectations and they don't play well at all. This is the first time in almost two decades where the Browns had high expectations, failed to meet them, and they have some serious soul-searching and questions to answer in the offseason. And I thought the biggest loser um, yesterday in terms of the NFL, the Miami Dolphins. Officially eliminated from the playoffs with, I thought it was a surprising blowout loss to the Titans. I thought the Dolphins were going to win yesterday, I'll be honest. I did not see uh, Tennessee winning. Also, did see Tennessee winning thirty-four to three. This defense has been great for Miami in their seven-game winning streak. Two has been solid, and both yesterday were horrendous. Defense was gashed by Deontay Foreman, one hundred thirty-two yards. The Titans basically ran for two hundred yards as a team on the ground, unable to force any turnovers after Ryan Tannehill was given away like Oprah during Christmas time, and Atua. Talking about his completion percentage. There's a lot of things that people want to talk about too. The one thing you can't knock, the one thing you can't really talk about is accuracy completion percentage. He throws a high volume of passes that are completed. And yesterday completed less than 50% of his pass. He struggled big time. Dolphins lose again. They need to win. Like I said, they eliminated from the playoffs. Credit to them for even having meaningful games. After starting off 1-7, and seven, it's almost impossible to have any game mean something for the playoffs after a 1-7 and seven start. Credit to them for bouncing back, but I did not see this blowout loss coming for sure. They were a big loser in the NFL. We do return to you to close out the Ryan Hickey Show on the first Monday of 2022. 
Errol Marks will join us here. We'll get his thoughts on yesterday's Week 17 action when the Reinecker Show returns right here. Where else? But the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on a Monday, the first Monday in 2022. We always appreciate you joining us, uh, making us a part of your Monday morning routine. We'll close out the show in style right here with the tremendous Errol Marks. Check Errol out. Every single Wednesday and Thursday, where else right here, but on the Worldwide Sports. Right, Eric. Errol, Happy New Year, man. Thanks so much for coming on. What's going on? Absolutely. Happy New Year to all, and to all a good, very good night. I guess all good day, I guess, with the cold and the, the snow coming on its way. So I'm very excited about uh, of the playoffs coming around the corner. We have March Madness. We have hopefully the lockout will end for baseball, and we'll see <sighs> – uh, your Mets actually compete this year, and my Yankees figure out how they can make some more moves to be a, um, a World Series championship team. So, very excited. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah, the, the whole baseball thing. I mean, geez, I, the classic Mets, they actually have a good offseason. They came and play on the damn field. Um, <laughs> Errol, so what, what do you want to hit on today? I, I mean, there is NFL Week 17 is one of the wildest and craziest from on the field to off the field. A lot of different directions to go here. What, what, do, we, what do we want to start with? Well, I will say this, for all the Jet fans out there that were shooting down Zach Wilson and saying that uh, he's going to be a bust and all that other stuff, now you're seeing slowly, but for the last three weeks, you see the development of this kid. This kid has been one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the last eight weeks, only behind Aaron Rodgers as the second most accurate quarterback in the league. I think the kid's only going to get better. This is a very difficult West Coast offense to learn, and I, I have to say, um, even though I wasn't very fond of Mike LaFleur and the way he was pushing the offense, I see the development, even with the lack of talent around him, what Zach Wilson could be. So I could say that as far as Antonio Brown is concerned, um, <laughs> I don't know what the hell he was doing yesterday. I, I think the guy's out of his mind. I think he needs to sit down and talk to somebody. Maybe he's been hit too many times to the head, but uh, embarrassment, an absolutely embarrassing thing he did in New York. If there's any place to do it, you don't do it at MetLife Stadium. You don't do it in New York where the press is going to attack you. Uh, and a lot of people, I've been reading stories, Ryan, that he is trying to get this Netflix documentary, um, a Netflix documentary, and – uh, this was a way of trying to push it. So wait, I, about uh, I didn't heard this about what? Like just about his uh, career? I think so. He wants to do a documentary where they're they're following him around with his family life and all that other stuff. He's been pushing it for the last past year. Uh, Netflix wasn't so sure to bring bring this upon uh, you know their ne- you know their I guess their network or whatever the heck they do with these documentaries. But uh, he's been pushing it. And uh, as of right now, it looks like uh, maybe this is something that Netflix could sell now that he embarrassed himself on national TV. I mean, that was – I was saying it before. Like, I, I don't know if you remember – it's hard to forget, actually. Remember when Vontae Davis a few years ago retired at halftime of the Bills game? Like, he went into the locker room and just said, like, I'm done, like, coach. Like, I, no, like, I'm literally done. I'm hanging it up. I thought there was nothing we could ever see in the NFL that could top that. And obviously yesterday, 
getting now, according to at least Ian Rapport, who this morning's reporting that Bruce Arians basically told him he was cut on the sideline. That's what led to him throwing his shoulder pads and his helmet and his gloves in the stands as he's running off shirtless, kind of firing up the crowd for whatever reason. I think it's safe to say, going out on a limb here, Errol, we will never see a bigger ceremonious, unforgettable retirement, probably the last time we should ever see him in the NFL ever again. Like that, There's nothing that's going to top that. Absolutely not. I mean, and, it is. Antonio Brown, to me, when you look at his numbers, uh, he's a borderline, uh, borderline Hall of Famer. And yeah. I, I think what he did in embarrassing himself, you saw what the NFL did to D.O. You saw what they've done to certain players and certain people in the past because it's a committee when it comes to voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think that this could hurt his chances of going to the Hall of Fame. And he should never be in the NFL again. I don't see how any team can justify from the exit in Pittsburgh to the debacle in uh, Oakland with the Raiders to the, the shorts did with the Patriots and now to this, this past year with the Bucks, You can't. You can't justify uh, bringing Antonio back. That should be it. Ryan, just look, look at the, the situation. Antonio Brown has been his worst enemy his whole career. Mm-hmm. He, got, he got a huge contract from Oakland. He decides, you know, within a year, year and a half to practically walk out on them. Errol, he didn't even play in a regular season game. I know it, the hard knocks. He was cut, so it's like, what the what the hell are we doing here? Mm-hmm. The guys made no money. He's it, what I've been reading is he's broke, and he's not uh, paying anyone. No, and Pittsburgh, he could have taken that big contract that Pittsburgh offered him before he walked out on them. Uh, but uh, the guy's just been a, a complete hazard to not only himself but his family. So I hope he gets help. I, I hope he doesn't do anything drastic. Are crazy, and, and I could see Netflix actually giving him a chance uh, to put his stupid, crazy life on uh, on, a, on a big platform. So yeah, I hope yesterday was the the last big news we'll see from Antonio Bryan. I, I would agree with you. That was that was literally insane, absolutely insane. Hopefully, he gets the help he needs because you're right. He he needs it after that. Oh. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Joe Judge's uh, big defense of a, another blowout <laughs> loss for the effort? I, I will say this about Joe Judge, and I have a lot of respect for Joe Judge, uh, you know, because he took over a team to me that is waste paper goods, mm-hmm. and um, he's made a lot of excuses for this team, and he looks like he's going to keep his job. I think, he, you know, I, I feel bad for Daniel Jones because they haven't put a right, the right pieces around him for, for him to succeed. I think he's a quality quarterback, and I think... Uh, like uh, we've seen Ryan Tannehill, he went somewhere else from Miami. He he was successful. We've seen this with other quarterbacks. It didn't work for Sam Donald because I think I just think the Jets really ruined him. But uh, Adam Gase really ruined him. But uh, I I think with his his explanations and his thoughts, I think he should be fired. That, that's what I think. But. Uh, everything that we've read, everything that the Tish family and the Mara family has said, he's, he's, he's coming back for another year. This team right now is, is falling apart. I don't care if they have two top ten picks right now. Right now, two top ten picks is not going to help the situation that they're in. The Jets are put. The Jets are the youngest team in football. They're put in a situation where they could succeed moving forward with all their draft stock and the money. They have no salary cap. They, they have two first-round draft picks. They gave away a bunch of draft picks. Uh, when they when they decided to re-sign um, uh, Leonard, Leonard Williams. I think they're put in a situation where 
this is a rebuilding stage. Tra- trade Saquon Barkley. I've been saying on my show the perfect fit for Saquon Barkley where you can get a second-round pick back for him. Uh, Buffalo Bills. I think Buffalo needs a running back. Uh, I think Saquon wants to stay in New York and rediscover himself. That would be the perfect position. But Joe Judge, everything that he has been saying, not only to the press and really embarrassing the organization, uh, I think he should be fired. I, Errol, I couldn't agree more. I still think he will be fired. And I think kind of him going on that 11-minute, 2,600-word speech or uh, that it was yesterday, I think kind of shows you that in his mind, I think he's ready to also be fired. It's, it's like yesterday was so contradictory for so many reasons. Number one, you're coming off of a 29-3 embarrassment blowout, not to the Buccaneers, not to the, to the Packers or the Chiefs, to the Bears with Andy Dalton. You were getting outclassed by a, a team that's about to coach, uh, that, that's about to fire their own GM and head coach. And here Joe Judges, after another embarrassment, uh, another blowout loss, not pointing to you know any growth on the field, not pointing to even the team eliminating you know the same mistakes over and over again, which they're continuing to commit without any coaching. I don't know what they're doing during the week. Joe Judge keeps saying they're they're coming in, they're practicing hard, they're ready to work, they're playing hard during the game. Sure, you can get a fourth down stop in the fourth quarter, but when it's twenty nine to three every single week, what good does that do? And the, like, oh, this is not a clown organization. You know, we're not, we don't have golf clubs in front of our lockers or we're not fighting on the sideline the Washington football team is. Like, yeah, sure, your team's not fighting, but they're getting their ass kicked on the field every single week. And here you are applauding, you know, the effort in the fourth quarter after another blowout loss. Like, this team's not even competitive. This team has been the worst team in the NFL the last five years. And here's Joe Judge kind of patting himself on the back saying, oh, yeah, the results don't matter because you know what? We're playing hard. Oh, these are, I mean, I kind of hate going down this route because I think it's just, it's whatever, but I will go down it here. These are millionaire professional athletes you are applauding in a 4 and a, a 12 season so far. You're applauding for them for playing hard. Like, what are we doing? How about we worry about playing hard the first three quarters so by the time the fourth quarter comes, instead of applauding them for playing hard and a blowout, you say, wow, maybe they're actually in this game. How about the Lions? Like the Lions are a team that have been more competitive this year than the Giants. The Texans have been more competitive this year than the Giants. Like they're getting blown out by almost every team that they play now. I know they have more wins, but are you talk a week by week competitiveness. This team is not there. And to pat yourself on the back, I think it's contradictory. Like, like, uh, congr- like, yeah, you want to keep your job, and the re- the 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 reason now, uh, and the rationale you're using to keep your job is the fact that this team is playing hard. Despite the fact that your your coaching is a big reason why they're getting blown out every week, it's I agree with you. Laughable. I agree with you. And Tom Coughlin uh, losing Tom Coughlin, uh, you know, over five six years ago because they didn't want to give him defensive players, and then they give back Ben McAdoo the job, which he already, Tom Coughlin already knew he was going to lose his job when they brought Ben McAdoo in because he didn't want Ben McAdoo. Um, I think it ruined this team and what this team's whole basis of what this organization really preached all those years. They were laughing stock. Uh, you, you know, when we talk about New York, it, it's been, it's always been the Jets. But the Jets, I think, have an understanding of what they're doing and how they're doing it with Joe Douglas. And, and obviously, um, even though I, I disagree with uh, what uh, Robert Sala did at the end of the game running the ball yesterday, I was happy that the Jets lost yesterday. The only reason why is I don't want them to lose the position that they're in for the draft. They had no reason to win yesterday. Tom, I knew Tom Brady was going to take the ball down the field and win. I was praying for that to happen as a Jet fan. I know Jet fans don't want to see that and they don't want to hear that from a Jet fan. But 
Next year is the year with the money that they have and the draft stock that they have. They can really position themselves in a very good position to be a, not a contending Super Bowl champion, but at least a fortified playoff team with that seventh, that seventh uh, seed wild card. So I, I, I'm, you know, when you look at the wild cards, I mean, a nine and seven team is going to make the playoffs. So it's it's absolutely possible for the Jets next year to be not, uh, nine to ten win ten win teams to make the playoffs. And by the way, your Colts, if the Colts, I, I it was a really bad loss yesterday, but I think that if the Colts can get into the playoffs with that running game and that the way the defense is played in the second half, uh, watch out for them. I think they're very dangerous. Errol, I really hope you're right. It was a disappointing effort yesterday. They really didn't kind of show up. I really hope, I don't want to make excuses, I really hope that maybe the whole COVID, where it had a lot of big-time players on you know, on the COVID list this week and not practicing, I really hope that's the biggest culprit and not just laying the egg. I mean, Derek Carr, credit him, played really well. I thought that was the biggest win of his career yesterday. Now he played. Uh, but like you said, yeah, I really hope the Colts can kind of get back to that um, – style of play they had the last few weeks so they're still playing like I said Jonathan Taylor's a, a man possessed that was the first loss yesterday that um the Colts had without uh where he ran for 100 yards and they lost they were 9-0 up until that so yeah I mean the running game is obviously a key you pray to God Carson Wentz can just not make mistakes which eh, it's, it's been up and down all year with that so he's far good. but he just looked good this year I, I really like what I've seen with Carson Wentz this year he's so bounced back really, for sure Yes, I mean he's had a he's had a pretty good season. I I wouldn't say he's a fortified Pro Bowler this year, but if you look at his numbers, I mean he's going to throw uh, over thirty eight to uh, thirty eight hundred to four thousand yards. He's going to have almost thirty touchdowns. He's only thrown yesterday uh, uh, threw a couple, but uh, he hasn't thrown a lot of interceptions. I I've been very impressed with Carson Wentz's development now that he back, we went back with Frank Wright, and I I, I believe with the running game and their defense. If they make the playoffs, they position, position themselves very well. They can absolutely make a run for the Super Bowl. They're a dangerous team. They They're are a – abs- I couldn't agree more. They are definitely a dangerous team in a wide-open AFC for sure. we got like a minute left here. What's like a – I guess a final thought for the from Errol Marks? My final thought is uh, anybody that thought Aaron Rodgers isn't the best quarterback in the last 10 years, well, he proved it again yesterday. I, I think – Aaron Rodgers is, is going to win his back-to-back MVP this year. He's been sensational. If you look at this quarterback, if he didn't miss his first three games, of, uh, th- first three years of, uh, of his career behind Brett Favre, and he didn't break his clavicle twice, this guy would probably have every single quarterback record by the time he retires. He's going to break 500 touchdowns with less than 100 interceptions. No quarterback in NFL history with the, the scoring percentage, the quarterback rating, the completion percentage, is anywhere going to come close to this guy. I, th- I feel, and I'm, I know a lot of people like Tom Brady, and Tom Brady's won all those Super Bowls. It's a team game. It wasn't just Tom Brady to win those Super Bowls. I think with, with the talent that he's had around him, and what we have seen with Aaron Rodgers, to me, he's the greatest quarterback I've ever seen in my lifetime. And I watched Joe Montana play. I watched Tom Brady play. Uh, when you talk about just full, straightforward talent, most talented quarterback I've ever seen. He does have his own thoughts to w- the way he is as a player. I don't believe he'll be a Green Bay backer next year. And remember what I said, if anybody listened to my picks, before the season started, 
I had Tennessee and Green Bay going to the Super Bowl, Green Bay winning the Super Bowl. I still believe that if Derrick Henry comes back, the way Tennessee has played in the second half with A.J. Brown healthy, Julio Jones healthy, this team is as dangerous as any team in the AFC. And by the way, I am a Yankee fan. The biggest move the Mets made in the offseason was bringing in Buck Showalter. Huge move for the New York Mets. It puts them in a very good position to succeed in the National League East. I would agree with you on Aaron Rodgers in terms of like, obviously Tom Brady. I would still say as a goat guy is you know all the winning he has done, uh, but in terms of like talent, accuracy, like throwing, like the, just the just the pure skill of quarterback. I mean, I can't argue with Aaron Rodgers. He, he's it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And you even watch like his connection with Devonta Adams. It, the, there could be four defensive backs all over Devonta Adams, and Aaron Rodgers will still find the one window to put it in there. Devonta Adams will still be able to make the catch. It is beyond uh, belief how good and how consistently good he has been. Errol, thanks for coming on, man. It's a great way to start 2022, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? Absolutely. And, by the way, the Rangers and the Islanders, uh, the Rangers have looked uh, really, really good coming back. And, and I think this break with COVID, which I think the NHL screwed the Islanders when they should have called the games a little bit earlier where the Islanders won a 10-game losing streak. I think the Islanders are going to pick up their game. I think it's a perfect time where you're going to see the Islanders and the Rangers uh, actually make the playoffs, even the Devils make the playoffs this year. I think it's a very exciting time for the metropolitan area for hockey. New York, New Jersey hockey is back. Errol, always a pleasure, man. I'll talk to you soon, all right? Thanks, Ryan. Errol Marks, the great Errol Marks, closing us out here on this Monday, the first Monday back of 2022. We appreciate you tuning in with us and making us a part of your new year. Again, happy new year, belated new year for the final time. I promise you we will never say that ever again. Nothing worse than a a late happy new year. But enjoy uh, your week. We appreciate you starting the the, uh, week with us. We'll be back on Thursday, of course. So stay safe, stay sane. We'll talk to you Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports. Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.